and Noah built the ark with no physical evidence that the flood would occur. But he had a conviction of something not seen. That was the promise that God made. So faith is being fully persuaded that something is true. It's the assurance. It's the certainty of things hoped for. Welcome to The Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Fox Den. In this episode, we're going to look at several examples of simple faith. But to begin, let's define faith. Faith simply means belief or being fully convinced that something is true. And faith is typically followed by action. For example, when I sit in a chair, I put my full weight on it. And my action of sitting in the chair proves my faith. Said another way, if I don't believe the chair is going to hold my weight, I'm not going to sit in the chair. So this gives us a basic definition of faith. But the Bible gives us a bit more information. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the key words in this definition are assurance and conviction. And so what are these things hoped for? Well, the promises of God. So the assurance of things hoped for is believing that God will keep his promise. And when God makes a promise, you're certain it will happen. And here's why. God can't break his promise because it's outside of his character. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And there Paul tells us plainly that God never lies. Now, the second phrase in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 is an extension of the first phrase. In other words, the writer of Hebrews basically says the same thing twice. He just says them differently. In the second phrase, he says the conviction of things not seen. And what are these things not seen? Are they angels and demons? No, they're the promises of God. God's promises to the Old Testament saints were largely unrealized, at least for a time. They were unseen. It's like me telling my daughters when they were little girls that I'll pay for college. I didn't pay for college when they were six. They had to wait several years in order to get old enough to go to college. Making that promise when they were little girls was unrealized for many years. But I'll pay for their college through the education fund that I set up. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. And here we see a description of Noah's faith. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So God told Noah what he was going to do, and Noah believed God and he started building the ark. Take a look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 13 and following. And here we see God telling Noah that he's going to destroy the earth. He then tells Noah to build an ark, and Noah did. So how long did Noah have to wait before God caused the rain to come and destroy the earth? Many, many years. Think about the size of the ark and how long it would have taken to acquire the necessary building materials. How long to prepare them to even build the ark. And then how long it would have taken just to assemble the ark. So it would have taken a long time. And Noah built the ark with no physical evidence that the flood would occur. But he had a conviction of something not seen. 
That was the promise that God made. So faith is being fully persuaded that something is true. It's the assurance. It's the certainty of things hoped for. Now, at this point, I'd like us to take a look at several examples of simple faith. And the first place we're going to go is Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Now, the first thing to note here is that Abram is Abraham. God changes Abram's name to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. But here in chapter 15, God tells Abraham that he will give him a son and many offspring from that son. And Abraham believed God, and God counted his faith as righteousness. So what did Abraham believe in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6? Did he believe in Jesus? No, Jesus wouldn't come for several hundred years. Abraham believed God. God made a promise, and Abraham believed him. He believed that God would keep his promise. And as a result of believing God, God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. Again, what did God promise? He promised that he would give Abraham a son and give him many offspring through that son. Now, this would have been hard for Abraham to believe. He was old and he had no children and his wife was barren. We see that in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. So how is God going to give Abraham a son when he is old and his wife can't have children? Well, Abraham doesn't know, but God promised this and he believed God despite the odds against him. And God counted his faith, his believing God, as righteousness. Now, at this point, we see no evidence that Abraham believed in the Messiah, the coming Christ. Well, certainly he did to some degree in his life, but that's not what we see here in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. God made a promise and Abraham believed God. So God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. So the key takeaway here is believing God. And I don't mean believing that God exists, though that's certainly part of it. You can't believe God if you don't believe he exists. I mean, you believe God. When he says something, it will happen because God always tells the truth. Now take a look at Mark chapter 5, verses 24 to 34. And here we have the account of a woman who bled for 12 years. Now, Jesus was ministering around the Sea of Galilee, and as he was walking, a large crowd surrounded him, and they were pressing in on him. And in that crowd was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and she was desperate for healing. Verse 26 says that she suffered under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. In other words, she went broke paying physicians to heal her. Obviously, nothing worked because she was still bleeding. So she came to Jesus out of desperation in order to be healed. She thought, if I just touch his garment, I'll be healed. You see, she didn't come to Jesus to be saved. She just wanted to stop bleeding. Well, she gets to him, she reaches out, and she touches his garment. And when she does so, she's immediately healed. And then Jesus turned around and said, who touched my garment? Now, there were tons of people pressing in on him. There were tons of people touching his garment, but Jesus' perceived power came from him, and he wanted to know to whom this power had been directed. And it seems this woman had an uh uh-oh moment. She came to him in fear and trembling. She fell before him, and she told him everything. And listen to the kind words of Jesus in verse 34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, I want to point out a couple things here. She was physically healed, obviously, 
But there's a greater picture here. This is a picture of her spiritual healing. You see, what comes at resurrection? We will rise from the dead in bodies that will never get ill and that will never die. And this is a glimpse of her spiritual and future condition. And then second, when Jesus tells her to go in peace, he doesn't mean to go with an inner calm, a peace within her heart. Jesus is telling her that she's no longer at war with God. The word peace that Jesus uses means peace between individuals. It means no more war between these two individuals. She believed that Jesus was the source of her physical healing. That's why she came to him. She just wanted to stop bleeding. However, she found more than physical healing. She found peace with God. And what did she do to find this peace with God? She simply believed that Jesus could heal her where no other person could. But notice also in here that her action was compelled by her faith. She believed Jesus could heal her if she just touched him. So she did. The proof that she believed was she actually touched the garment. Now let's go to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And here Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Luke defines Jesus' audience here. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's how Luke defines this. And the first character in the parable is the Pharisee, and he matched the character of Jesus' audience. This Pharisee prayed to God, and he thanked God that he was not like the tax collector, and then he shared his resume with God. This Pharisee actually bragged to God about himself. Now, let me take a slight detour here. Never share your resume with God. Never tell God how wonderful you are. This is a really bad idea. The tax collector, on the other hand, he reacted differently. Now, you need to know that the tax collector would have been considered scum by Jesus' audience. He would not have been the model to follow. The Pharisee would have been the hero of this audience. But notice how the tax collector approaches God. He stood far off and wouldn't even look to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, he recognized his sin and he recognized God as a holy God. And Jesus said that the tax collector, not the Pharisee, walked away justified. Now notice here that the tax collector said nothing about Jesus as Lord and Savior. He simply approached God with humility, he confesses his sins, and he pleads for mercy. And he was justified. Now perhaps at this point you're thinking I'm a universalist and maybe you think I don't think that we need Jesus to be saved. Well, I believe that those in Christ are saved and those apart from Christ are lost. And I believe that salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I'm simply making observations based on these three texts. And in fact, the point of Jesus' parable was to differentiate between pride and humility. Look at what he says in verse 14. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out here. Never trust your own righteousness. You will be condemned. Approach God with a humble heart, acknowledging your sin and asking him for mercy, and you will find it. You can listen to episode 59, where I talk about this parable in full. Now take a look at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. In verse 9, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is such a simple act of faith. There's no complex theological construct to unpack. You simply speak that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead. Now, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Well, it means he's master. And you see, this is a statement of submission. The heart of mankind desires to usurp the authority of God. We, by our sinful nature, want to control everything, including God himself. But this statement that Jesus is Lord acknowledges that I am not. You see, it's a submissive statement. I am subservient to Jesus, who is master of all. He is Lord. I am not. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not talking about making Jesus your Lord and Savior. You don't make Jesus anything. In the work of salvation, God rescues you in Christ. He did the work. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 identifies the confession of the saved. They don't make Jesus their Lord. They acknowledge that he is Lord. God made him Lord over all, not you. Your confession simply acknowledges that this is true. So the first part is confessing that Jesus is Lord, and the second part is believing that God raised him from the dead. Do you believe the resurrection story? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? There are many people who don't. In fact, there were many people in the first century that didn't believe this. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, there, the entire chapter, Paul is advocating for the resurrection of Christ. Certainly, he brings this up because there was some doubt concerning the resurrection of Christ. However, this is a key doctrine of the Christian faith. Without the resurrection of Christ, there is no Christianity. And also, Paul says in verse 10, that with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Again, notice that Paul is saying nothing about accepting Jesus. He simply says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I covered several examples of simple faith. And in these three examples, they didn't look to Jesus for salvation. Yet Abraham and the tax collector walked away justified. And the woman who bled for 12 years was not only healed, but she found peace with God. Again, I'm not suggesting that there is salvation outside of Christ. There is no hope outside of Christ. But the key is believing God. Or as Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe God exists? Do you believe that he rewards those who seek him? Do you believe that God is a promise keeper? Come to the Father with your simple faith and you will find peace with him. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.